Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Erin Rand is the Chief Operating Officer from Service Rocket. She's also one of the founding members of the COO Alliance. So I'm super excited to talk to Erin today. Service Rocket is a company dedicated to software adoption and amplifying the impact of disruptive technology companies by helping enterprise customers adapt and get the value out of and love their software. Her passion is helping tech founders identify the keys to igniting accelerated growth prioritizing the most critical focus areas that will speed their trajectory. She has a broad experience designing and implementing strategic operational initiatives at companies such as IBM, Brocade, NetApp, and Service Rocket, and is the recipient of the Silicon Valley Business Journal's Woman of Influence 2015 Award. Erin is a ginger, a TEDx speaker, a hiker, a Las Vegas poker player, and a bit of a geek who holds degrees in engineering and mathematics. She serves as a director of Service Rocket Inc. and is on the advisory boards of Quario Inc. and the club, um, which is a nonprofit accelerator of women leaders. I'm also proud to say that Erin not only is a member of the CO Alliance, she's one of my favorite members of the CO Alliance, and I consider her a good friend as well. So Erin, really looking forward to talking with you today. I'm really excited to talk to you too, Cameron. And I didn't know you liked poker, or if I did, I forgot. I just spent probably six hours yesterday watching a really good friend of mine, Jim Worth, um, play at the second final table in the World Series of Poker. He beat out Phil Helmuth and then um, lost. There was one, he had to beat one final person to go to the final table, and he, he uh, missed it. So I was kind of bummed for him last night. But um, poker's a fun game. Poker's a fun game. That's how I spend about half my time when I'm in Vegas. Is it really? Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. We're going we're gonna to hook up a poker night here in Vancouver when you're in town next. Um, awesome. So tell me, tell me about your journey into the COO kind of world. How did you, how did you get into, um, or where did you start gaining your experience and kind of where did you get into the trajectory of the COO? And, and then even prior to that, maybe tell us a little bit about Service Rocket so we understand the business that you're running today. Sure. Um, well, why don't, why don't I start with the journey and I'll bring it back to, because that's how I met Rob and, and got to Service Rocket. And, Perfect. Uh, so I'm an engineer by training. Uh, I'm a, as I said, I'm, or as you said, I'm a Canadian, I'm an engineer and was always good at math growing up. So I ended up being an, an engineer. But very, very early in my career, no matter what engineering role I went to, I ended up being frustrated by processes that didn't work well, metrics that didn't make sense, organizations that weren't structured well. So I always, and I mean this, I try not to say always, but I always started doing side projects to make things better. Hmm. Uh, and so that would very early on move me out of engineering. And I started doing those for IT groups or then I spent a little bit of time in global services, and then I spent some time in marketing. And when Sarbanes-Oxley came in, I got pulled into finance and accounting when all the new uh, process and uh, controls around that came in. So for probably the first 10 or 15 years of my career, I bounced from one area of the business to another, 
uh, often at the same company. So I spent several roles at IBM and then several roles at Brocade and NetApp. And my role was often if something was broken, figure out how to fix it really quickly. If something wasn't working or if something didn't exist, how to build it really quickly. And then I got to the point in my career where it was like, oh my God, I'm not an expert at anything. Like, how do I, how do I progress to the next level of my career? I don't have, I've worked in marketing, but I don't have any depth in marketing. I was an engineer, but I, I don't do that at really, not at the depth that you would need to grow. And then Somebody said to me, you know, there's only two roles that uh, you're really qualified now for, Aaron, and that's uh, either the CEO or the COO, because mm-hmm. you're a mass, uh, you know enough about everything to see how everything connects. That's huge. Yeah. And uh, as an industrial engineer, which is my training, looking at how people, systems, and uh, organizations all used to say people, process, and tools, how they all connect for the outcome. Uh, Key part of the industrial engineering background that goes with each of those roles. So then service who's Anyone who's listening right now is completely getting the difference between the CEO and the COO, by the way. (laughs) Like like it's so obvious, right? When you actually start dovetailing into the skill sets and the background of someone like you, who's a really strong second in command, just so completely different from the CEO. So so good into service rocket. Yeah. So, and that's, I met Rob. We, we actually met, he showed me just the other day, the invitation to the event we met at. Uh, We met at um, one of these events in Silicon Valley where it's a big networking event, someone's getting an award, but really everyone's there to kind of either sell you something or, uh, you know, network to meet the right people. And Rob and I were both, the same person was trying to sell us something and neither one of us was interested. So we started talking to each other and he asked me what I did. um, And I told him I, you know, same thing I just told you, I either build things that, uh, don't exist or I fix things that are broken and his eyes got really he's like oh I'm building a company <laughs> there's there's stuff that uh that Doesn't we need to talk broken <laughs> yeah. and uh we we ended up talking like I think for three days straight after that and uh service rocket was really exciting to me because Rob was Rob's whole business is built around this idea that technology can make an impact, like really change the way people live and work. And yet it's really hard and slow to adopt for a lot of enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. Even if they want it, it's just hard, right? Mm -hmm. And um, enterprise organizations are risk averse, they're large. um, And both of us get really, and I was coming from all big organizations uh, and seeing how hard that was to do. And uh, the whole business of Service Rocket is around, we partner with disruptive technology companies uh, whose customers are the enterprise. And we help bridge that, or for, I think probably a lot of your listeners would know crossing the chasm. We help them cross the chasm with their customers. And then they grow fast. The enterprise customers get a lot of value because they're actually getting to adopt the software and get all that value out of it and 
the realize the promise of it. And because of that, the disruptive technology companies grow faster, we like to say, up and to the right. <laughs> so how did, he, how did he decide to recruit you? I mean, that initial meeting, you kind of obviously fell in love with the company. You knew there was a great fit. How did he, um, how did he decide to bring you on board? And how, how small was the company at the time when you joined? Uh, it was 100 people. Uh, I, think, I think we were about $8 million in revenue at the time. And uh, I know we were 100 people because I was employee 101. Okay. And where are you today? <laughs> uh, we are just over 265, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, and we're uh, just over close to 25 million in revenue. And you've uh, been there for four or five years, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, in that role? Yeah, five and a half Oops. years. Yeah, so, so in the role that you've been in, you've seen quite the, quite the growth. What do you think was it that, um, that you guys were struggling with in the early days that you perfected or were able to fix? And what do you think you brought to the table that really helped um, you know, the relationship with Rob? And maybe talk to us a little bit about what um, you know, your relationship with the CEO is like. Because Rob, as I understand, is a pretty traditional, entrepreneurial, big, shiny object um, CEO, and you're very operational. So how did, how did you guys work? Yeah, so your description is pretty accurate. Rob is amazing. Um, he's the, he is the, I say we're yin and yang. He loves to be out there with customers, with other partners in, the, in our ecosystems, out with the team. He's very um, extroverted, uh, although he wouldn't say, I just heard him say in my ear, I'm not an extrovert. I'm like, yes, you are. Um, um, and he attracted people who were, and he still attracts people who are inspired by his vision. And um, he, but he also, for, for, for a company like ours and at 100 people, we didn't have a lot of process people. So I think if you're asking, wait, what did I bring? I think you asked, was one of the questions in there that you yeah. asked, what did I bring? Yeah, what did you bring and what did you fix? Yeah, so coming in, uh, a lot of what I brought was the, the process orientation. Remember, I'm, I'm an industrial engineer coming from mostly big or, or companies, either big companies or companies that grew quite big. And this was the smallest company I'd ever worked with. And uh, it was there was actually a bit of a shock in the beginning because it was so not process driven. Hmm. You know, one of the things service rocket has done right from the start is culture and values and hiring amazing people. Uh, a lot of, but like most startups, a lot of repeating the same rediscovering the wheel a lot and uh, people working really hard because they, they, they will, and they're committed but not really having the time or the focus or the skill set really to turn around and put some rigor and repeatability and scalability around it. Mm. And I think part of, part of what I also had to adjust to was not bringing too much process, too much big company, too much corporate in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it took me a while in those early, uh, in the year, early year, first year or two, to, uh, understand where that right mix was. I like to say that Rob knocked the corporate off me a little bit and I, I helped him get more 
uh, process and metric focused. You know, I'm, I am a, an analytical person by nature and uh, I love to get into the numbers of how things are working and numbers don't lie and well, they yeah, can sometimes, sure. but. <laughs> they can be manipulated. One they of the, can be manipulated. Remember at the uh, at one of the COO Alliance events, we had everyone's Colby profiles. Do you remember what your Colby profile was? Your number? Yes, eight six four three. Eight six four three. Okay, so you ask a lot of questions and you put systems and processes in place. Um, mm -hmm. And then what was uh, what was Rob's? Do you remember? Uh, I looked a at high, it the other day. A, a high He's third number. High third. He was an eight in the third number, and and Lower I want to say it was like three. Three three eight four or something like yeah, that. Very similar to mine. I'm four three nine three. So he's very entrepreneurial. Shoot from the hip, make it up as you go, wing it. Um, but th those are those can be taken the wrong way. That's those are skills as well to start that way. So how did you guys get your? Um, how did you get in sync? I mean, to, to, for you to come in corporate and him to get you less corporate, and for you to get him more process and numbers focused, how did you get in sync like that? Was it through discussions? Was it through meetings? Was there any good conflict happening? How did that? How did you get to that place? So I, I would say there was a good amount of healthy tension, and both of us, both of us are real drivers, and so we would each be driving our own agenda a little bit. Uh, I'm remembering him. Uh, well. I took our, our, the monthly, the monthly review was, was very entrepreneurial, you know, the business monthly review. And I remember just going away for three days and, and rebuilding it numbers, mm -hmm. organized um, goals, and just saying here, this is what it should look like. Like not even, um, and he would do the same thing for me uh, where he'd be, I'd be doing something very corporate and he would, um, step in and go, no, Aaron, just, just be yourself. Just go out there. Don't plan. Don't worry about making a mistake. Just go, go. And, uh, um, yeah. And to what we did a lot that worked tremendously well for us is hold walking meetings. So we're uh, both early morning people, we'd get into the office really early and it's like, okay, let's go walk to Phil's, Phil's coffee shop. For those of you who are in California, mm -hmm. Let's go walk to Phil's, get a coffee. And we, if we had 20 minutes of stuff to, walk, to talk about, we'd walk for 20 minutes, get our coffee, and, and then break. And, and if we had three hours of stuff, we would end up three hours out walking, drinking cold That's awesome. coffee. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a great way to do it. I mean, it's just, it's, it is actually that, um, I call it date night. And it's the regular habit that has to happen in the CEO, CEO yin and yang relationship where you need to have time to get on that same page and to spend time with each other and to um, now you guys are also operating in five countries, seven countries. How many countries are you operating in now? Five soon to be six. I ju we just got word that uh, we got the last tick in the box to open in our sixth country. But and and that, you have physical, that's not been announced yet. And that's physical offices as, as well, correct? That's physical offices. Well, we have four physical offices uh, we have, and then we're going to, the fifth office is still operating in a, in a shared space as will the sixth one until we have enough, until we have enough uh, gravity to do our own office. And we have apartments in the four countries we have offices in as well, which has been, hmm. uh, we do that so that we have a lot of cross-pollination between the offices. People can, people can go work out of another office for a month or two months and, oh, cool. and live out of the apartment and, 
it encourages a lot of travel and a lot of cross-pollination. Really cool. So, and what countries are you operating in? So I know you're in Chile and you're in Malaysia, the U.S., where else? Uh, Australia, Singapore, and soon to be the U.K., so I, wow. by the time this comes out, it'll be announced. So. That's very cool. That's, um, that's a really great perk, actually, for the employees to be able to do that. So what tools, what software tools do you use to be able to work remotely like that and, and work across all these different countries with, um, you know, what would maybe be the top three be that you guys couldn't live without? So Workplace by Facebook, I would say, would be, let's say Workplace by Facebook, if it was my top three, Jira by Atlassian, uh, Oh, you're going to make me pick my third one. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know what I'm going to say? NetSuite. There's there's a lot of ties for third. We, you know, you know me, Cameron. Yeah. We have a lot of we have a lot of tools. Yeah, you and guys I was use a ton of technology. Yeah. Uh, so, Workplace by Facebook because it it it's a great communication visual. We can do live videos. We can. Uh, do more formal posts, we can create project groups, uh, we can run events, and there's a lot of culture shared there too, and there's chat, workplace chat, just, and it's, it's like Facebook that you have in public, but it's a private instance of Facebook just within your company. Well, and Service and, Rocket helped launch Workplace for Facebook, like you guys actually helped launch it globally, didn't you? Yeah, we were one of the early beta users and then became an early partner, and we still work with them. And you can imagine uh, uh, we specialize, and Rob especially specializes in adoption in the enterprise, technology adoption. And this is Facebook's first foray into the enterprise. It's always been a consumer-facing brand. So there's a lot of synergy there. It's funny, I remember when I was just leaving 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and it was just over 11 years ago, and I was sitting at my in the office and um i was on facebook which had just kind of i guess it had been out for a year or so in the colleges but it really hadn't hit mainstream yet and i was adding my first friend on facebook and brian the ceo walked over he's like what the hell is that i'm like it's facebook he goes, what's it for i'm like I'm not really sure yet <laughs> it's like it looks kind of cool i'm like yeah it just, i don't know what it is yet so that was um that was kind of like may or april of, of 2007 um it's amazing to see wow. that that organization change. So how did you guys end up connecting with them then as an early stage partner? You know, Rob's one of those people. Uh, and you talk about the different, about the DNA of the entrepreneur. And Rob is passionate about this. He's he about technology adoption. He's known in the space. We've worked with some amazing customers. Atlassian, you know, the, the number two piece of software that I talked about, Atlassian has been an amazing partner for a very long time. And um, they were really little when we, when we started working with them. And I think we kind of opened up shop down the road from them when they were a little company in Australia and Rob, Rob opened up as well. <laughs> and uh, we've grown together with them. So I think, I think Rob's reputation in the space and his willingness as well, you know, it's a company, his, his willingness to just give it away. Like he gets really excited and uh, about the opportunity to make an impact. And I think that's, he attracts people that yeah. want to make an impact. And so being an early partner and being willing to take risks and be willing to give free advice and be willing to um, 
just engage and be supportive has opened a lot of those doors. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so if he's so into that, what are you really into? What, what is it that drives you inside a service rocket? And what is it that's kept you really driven over the last, you know, five plus years? Yeah, I like to say that, that 45 minutes with Rob is 40 hours with the team. Um, so Rob moves at the speed of light and, uh, and he's, he's often years into the future in where his mm. head's at. And if he comes into a room and has 45 minutes with the team or he <laughs> does something, then for me, it's 40 hours then of helping people connect to what, is that, what does that really mean today, right now, for you. Um, and I'm, I connect with people, right, at that. Um, and a lot of those things will, will, and Rob's not unique in this, a lot of the, the questions and the, well, what about this and what about that? And I don't understand or, but is, didn't we say, you know, that is very a human reaction to moving it to, for people in reaction to someone else moving at the speed of light can be very frustrating for the, sure. for a family, yeah. for an entrepreneur. And so I, I really look at it as, as part of the CIO's responsibility is to make it digestible and consumable and for people. So- yeah, so walk us through that. How do you do that? Give us this, an example of when you had to take one of his 45-minute or, or one idea out of the 45 minutes and make it digestible. Hmm. Pick one. Okay. Or, or give <laughs> us a couple because this, this is huge insights. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's, let's take Facebook for, for a minute. And uh, let's try and think. I want to make sure that I... You know, when, when the Facebook relationship came up, um, this was, this was, it, for, it was clear for Rob what an amazing synergy this was for us as a company and uh, how, how aligned it was to his vision. It wasn't necessarily immediately obvious to, to everybody and it, would, it was, could be confusing Right, so there was a lot of sitting with people again, and when you and sitting down in groups and hearing out people's fears and kind of helping them connect the dots in the at their pace, um, and giving them a really safe place to do that to have those questions. Mm. Um, the other, uh, let me think of another one. Is that that was a lot of questions and helping people, you know, what does this mean for me if I'm not working on Facebook? Yeah. If this is the most exciting thing that we're doing right now because Rob's right. so excited about it right. and I'm not working on it, right. what is that? Does that mean I'm not working on good stuff? Right? Yeah, interesting. That's huge. So helping people understand that where what they're working on, even if they're not working on that crazy shiny thing, uh, why what they do matters and why what their contribution is exciting and helping them connect it to the bottom, to the goals of the company. Right. That I think when so critical, keep going. I think, you know, you're, I, I like to use your vivid vision technique and when we're doing that well, when we've, when our vision is really clear and we're sharing it, it's much easier to do what I just said. We sometimes, in the past have gotten off track with that and don't do a good job. And then it's, it's, it's an uphill battle 
to really get people to see because you're not tying it back to a vision. So it's so critical, so critical to have that vision. Um, well, it, it's, it's even just, as you said, just showing people that are working on even some of the smaller tasks that their work is important. I think of the, the story of the three bricklayers that are sitting out on the sidewalk and, you know, they ask them what they're doing. And the first guy says, I'm, I'm making bricks. The second guy says, I'm building a wall and I'm, I'm making the bricks to build a wall. And the third guy says, I'm building a cathedral um, mm. to worship God. And I'm building the bricks that are going to make the left wall of the cathedral. And, and they're all, but they're all sitting there making bricks for the same cathedral, but one person gets it and the other one partially gets it. And the other one just thinks he's got a job. And I think that's so critical to be able to pull um, all of the employees together inside of an organization. So how do you connect? So the vivid vision is one tool that we talk about. And you know, I've covered that in my the book that just came out, Vivid Vision, and also in Double Double. I also actually covered it in the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. Um, but so you've got that as a tool. How else do you show the employees that what they're working on is important and how it all connects to the bigger picture? What else do you do? So I'm a huge advocate of picking a subset, a, a small set, of very meaningful metrics that you can show over and over again that people can connect, that, that illustrate what they're measurable, quantifiable numbers that illustrate what your vision looks like when it's achieved. Uh, and this is an art. Uh, this is actually one of the toughest things that I do Hmm. Um, because there's a lot of information. There's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of numbers. People love to run reports or put together tables, but what <laughs> measuring, but things get lost, right? Too much totally. metrics. And, and if you're not showing them consistently, uh, so figuring out what the right stuff is to measure and then taking the time, having your leadership and, and their teams take the time to really show their team how they connect to those numbers and asking in their teams, if these are the numbers, what can we do to impact them? And actually, you know, enlisting the team's ideas in that, a guided ideas. Uh, but, you know, sometimes even the team comes up with things that we wouldn't even think about, right? So having those, having really solid metrics. And I'm, when I say metrics, there's, there's for me three very distinct, very important categories of metrics. Okay, dive into this because this is critical. Okay. A lot of people measure what I call the company metrics first and they share those. So that's like your revenue growth or your profit margin, your EBITDA, you know, and they're, they're your bookings numbers. And those are the numbers that everybody talks about. For me, those are important, the company metrics, but they're, I measure those, like to measure those last, talk about those last. I like to measure metrics around your people first. People. Customer or I say rocketeer engagement because that's what we call our team, rocketeers. So employee engagement, uh, your recruiting, are you attracting right people, uh, your attrition numbers, uh, your learning and development investment, your people numbers first. Things that quantify, are you looking after your people and are you enabling them to do the best work of their lives, right? Mm. Um, and if you're, if you are looking, if you're attracting great people and you're letting, you're helping them do the best work of their lives, then they're going to look after your customer, which is your second category of metric, right? Yeah. So you've got people first, then your customer. And so that's, if you're measuring your dollars, but you're not measuring how happy your customer is, you can you're get, you can, you're missing it, right? And if you're, 
delighting your customer and you're 80% of the way there. Right. So well, and I think I think like you said, and it's just like Southwest Airlines mantra was the the employee is number one, our customer's number two. And if mm-hmm. you really obsess about taking care of the employees, they're going to obsess about the customers. So you win. And then all the numbers come from there. Your profit and revenue all comes off of that anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And when we get that right, um, everything else seems to flow. And you're telling people a message, right? If you're telling people that you're measuring people first, you're telling them they're important. If you're measuring the, num- the company numbers first, you're telling them that you value the company more than you value the people. So you're actually but- communicating your values so do you, um, do you measure using the net promoter score? Is that how you measure your employee engagement or how do you, you measure their satisfaction? So we use, we, we're going to shift to net promoter score, but right now we're using something called Spotlight, which is based on the book Growing Pains, which we've used for, well, it's, it predates me. I, I think Rob also had the foresight to, you know, he's always been people-oriented. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we have seven or eight years of, Rocketeer data every six months survey is telling us uh, where thing trends are going. And there's new tools out now. We're not using them yet but that are more real time, uh, but I can see us going there. What about um, Tiny Pulse? Have you guys looked at that at all as a tool? You know, I have it on my list to check out because it comes up at the CIO Alliance. Every time I go, <laughs> someone will mention Tiny Pulse and I haven't gone there yet. Yeah, it's a really strong, I mean, full caveat, I'm, a, I'm an investor and an advisor to the company. I was an advisor when they, they didn't even have their first employee and they're now over 100. Um, but it's a, it truly is a very, very strong tool for employee engagement, not only measuring it, but also driving employee engagement. And um, it's, it's a really strong tool to look into. So t- talk about how, how you manage all of the teams in all of these countries. How do you manage them all? How do you stay um, engaged with them? What software tools, you know, here you go, get a chance on software again, but what tools do you use to, um, to stay connected with everybody remotely and to manage all the complexities of your business and to drive the employee engagement, I guess, as well? Well, there's a, there's a lot in that. It's, I think that's, uh, that's 80% of my job sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, 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 we have a lot of tools that allow us to do things asynchronously or remotely, right? So Workplace by Facebook, I've already mentioned, which you can do online. There's video and chat, and you've got Jira by Atlassian, which allows us to manage a lot of our workflows and work remotely because, you know, there's, not, there's only one team uh, that reports to me where everybody's in one location, and that's because it's a team of one. So, Jira is kind of like base camp for... Uh, product management, right? Or for engineering? Well, it, it grew up in product management, but it's being used so many more, uh, so many more. Into, uh, it's because it's a workflow management tool, right? At okay. the end of the day. So okay. you can, and large enterprises have, have really started to adopt it to just to run their business. Great. And yeah, it's been awesome. It's a great tool. And it integrates with the, uh, Full disclosure, we sell the Jira to Salesforce connector. It's one of our products. It integrates with a lot of other tools that you'll have in your environment. Um, but we also, and we have the apartments, which I've already mentioned that allow people to, to move around. But uh, we do a number of very specific things. Like uh, I spent some years uh, that I've been with Service Rocket, 18 to 20 weeks on the road where I'll just go work out of one of the other offices for a couple of weeks and Rob does the same and we try and we try and and be with as much of the team 
not everybody can do that, right? But Rob and I both both um, are pretty committed to that, and as are some of the other members of the team. Uh, we have now our Malaysia office, which is just an amazing office. Uh, there's over a hundred people in that office, so it's you know actually I think it's more than half of the company is in Malaysia, hmm. and so every other week we have a designated time that's where the two shifts in Malaysia overlap so that the leadership is in Malaysia is there. We have a, a standing at least hour meeting. Sometimes it goes longer just with the leadership team. And you'd hate, I know you're going to hate this with no agenda. <laughs> so you wouldn't go and uh, with no agenda, but it is literally just FaceTime for those leaders to say, what, do, what questions do they have for Aaron and Rob? And we often bring other leaders and but that they is, can ask that us is an anything. Agenda. That's, that's an agenda. I call it a town hall meeting where the, the leaders listen and answer questions and the group gives. That's totally agenda. And it's all we do. And so it, yeah. it keeps those, those channels open. And depending on, on, on uh, what things might be hot, we bring other, other leaders on the, onto the team, onto the meeting as well. So this is a quick sidebar, and it was only because my ADD kicked in and I was looking back at my notes Tell us about, about the TEDx that you did, um, Embrace Your Bias. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to what, what prompted you to do that, why you did it, and, and what was it like? Because um, I know a lot of people want to, to do TEDx um, talks, and you did one. So how was it, and why did you do that one? So it's actually very tied into Service Rocket. So the, mm-hmm. the, topic is, uh, the topic is pretty much we don't have the hard conversations, Right. We, we, we are all committed to like, okay, so we're a global company. We have people from, we have men and women. We have people who are millennials to people who are senior citizens. We have people of different nationalities, different belief systems and different genders. I've probably duplicated what I say and (laughs) we're the good guys, right? So we can't be doing anything wrong. Right. We, we are always the good guys. So we will stand up and protect our, our people and our team and each other from the bad guys. And so what does that mean when we're actually doing something that might not be great? Not because we're, we're bad people, but because it's human to be biased and not to be able to see our own biases. Hmm. And when you want to have that conversation with someone, and we are a team based on, like, we love each other. We're family. This is, this is my family I'm talking about. And uh, how do you have the tough conversation and say, you know, what you said there was a little offensive. And um, so it, it really, I got into a number of conversations with people where I'm like, of course we're, and over you know, we are biased and we have to be able to have these conversations without being defensive and, and conversations would get pretty heated and no, we don't have a problem. Uh, and trying to just get people to stop being, and I realized, I realized that people were defensive because when we say someone might be being a little bit sexist or we're saying someone might be being, treating someone of a different race differently, that they're hearing that they're a bad person, right. maybe even morally flawed, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they they can't even they can't allow themselves to even consider that that's an option. And I I wondered how much that was just getting in the way of the 
bigger dialogue for a lot of people. And my, my team actually encouraged me and, um, to, to do the TEDx. They're like, you really need to, this is, this has been really helpful for us and you really need to share this. That's so, fun. yeah. So they asked me, so we did. And it, and, uh, then when, when I was selected to do it, uh, the idea got selected to, for the TEDx, my team was like, let's do a dry run. <laughs> so we, <laughs> I actually did it for the whole company at Service Rocket before I did it for the, uh, the oh, TEDx. Cool. And it, it, then we had like a 40-minute discussion afterwards, just where people really opened up. It was great. That's really cool. No, I, I like it because I think it's just, again, more about we can't necessarily change the people in an organization. It's part of it is to understand the people in the organization so we can leverage each other's strengths and also buffer each other on the weaknesses. But I think it's also understanding ourselves. And the more that we understand ourselves as humans and not only in a business, but as, you know, we're all, all just walking each other home. Um, when we understand our biases as well as our strengths and our weaknesses, those give us pretty powerful, powerful insights to build the, the organization. I think it also must build a, a huge amount of empathy and trust inside your organization. Yeah, we, uh, I think I was having a conversation with someone just last week. And now remember, we've had, we've had the TEDx, we've had, we've had it inside the company and we were talking about someone's behavior and that it, it was probably a little sexist and how are we going to talk to him about it? And the person I was talking to said, uh, well, you know, I know he's, he's doesn't mean it. I know he's not sexist. And I said, this is, this is the problem. We're all a little bit sexist, right? It's, sure. Being a little bit sexist doesn't make him a bad person. It's just he has a bias that he hasn't seen yet. And it doesn't make him, yeah. And so we're still having those conversations. But it's given us a platform to have those conversations. Well, and I think the key is to realize if, you, if we find that the people – want to change or want to understand themselves or want to improve or want to grow or just want to yes. be more empathetic of others. That's the key, right? Versus the ones who are like, well, screw you. I don't give a shit. Like not only do I embrace my bias, but I could, I don't even care. There's then there's a little bit of an issue at times with yeah. think, right? And that's where hiring for values is really important. Exactly. So what are the core values for service rocket and how do you, how do you test for that when you're hiring and you're recruiting? Yeah. So we have, Delight the customer. We, actually, we have five, five core values that we talk about. And we say delight the customer is number one. Talk straight. Think team. Share the knowledge and focus on the outcome. And I want to say, I wanna, I'm really proud of those. Uh, those were mm -hmm. done before I joined the company. They're pretty consistent in the company. And when I came, I... I and they were built, like the whole team decided. It, it was a, an exercise where the team said, why do I like to work here? And everybody submitted why they like to work at Service Rocket. And these, those five things bubbled up out of it. So it was the existing culture and they, the, that people attached to. And when I joined, I went through a whole new exercise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we landed on the same five, which was pretty awesome. Uh, that's pretty powerful when you do that as well. And, and I like that you, you kept them because I've always said you have to limit your core values to four or five core values. They should all be short, easy to understand phrases, which you have as well. And I think you guys are probably an organization that's willing to fire people who break their core values as well. Absolutely. Like you asked, like, how do we hire? 
for these. This is one of those things where Rob, I said, Rob knocked the corporate off me. I have a famous story that I tell people when we're going through this, whether we are choosing not to hire someone on values or because of a values mismatch. Um, when I first joined, there was a business unit that was a business area that was really in trouble. And uh, I needed to hire just a rock star project manager to get it back in line. It was impacting customers. And so I went out in my network and I called for a ringer, right? And I, and I got one, like my, my network coughed up one. And he was, had awesome expertise. He had awesome track record of results. He flew through our interview process. And at that time, Rob was still interviewing everybody. Rob spent 20 minutes with this guy after he'd flown through the interview process. And he said, nope, we're not going to hire him. And I was like, are you kidding me? This guy could come in and just, you know, clean this stuff up. And he said, yep. Yeah. But the Aaron, this guy is not a team player. He'll get the projects back on track. Absolutely. Huh. And he'll huh. break the rest of the team in the process. Wow. This guy only cares about his own results. And so it was, and we didn't hire him and it took us another you know, a couple of months, uh, probably six weeks to a couple of months to find the right person, which felt at the time horrifically painful, but in the long run was such a better decision to get through another eight weeks of pain to not, you know, break the entire team. No, that's, so, that's powerful. When, when an organization is hiring based on that to that level, that's really strong. Yeah. And having to strong. make some of those tough decisions. And we've had to let people go as well when they've demonstrated, and those were also hard too, because we only, we do hire, I'm really proud, we hire amazing people. And so when something goes sideways there, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty emotional. That's awesome. One final tip from you, if you were to give a, a tip to anyone who is in the COO role and, and how to excel in their role, what would the one big lesson be? You know, I'm a process person. I'm an analytical person. I, Vision is really important, but at the end of the day, get the people stuff right. And that gives you, that gives you all the time, you, that gives you the time that you need and the flexibility that you need to, to get everything else. And when things go sideways, uh, having the right people on the bus is what uh, helps you get out. Yeah, and getting the wrong people off the bus. Um, who's your favorite poker player? <laughs> do you have one daniel negrano yeah it's funny like i was actually gonna say daniel negrano was one of mine as well <laughs> like i used to watch him so you're canadian as well originally and i am canadian but yeah. the daniel negrano was is um it's just fun to watch mine's still phil helmuth and it's not because i liked the, him as a person so much as i read one of his books um i don't remember the name of the book his strategy on poker and it's always stood me really really well in um, in any of the games that I play. And I don't play in Vegas. I'm, you're going to kick my ass. But um, anyway, Aaron. You know, I'm a ginger, so that means <laughs> I have fair skin and I, I have all these tells with my, so. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what we'll happens. See. see if I can figure them out. Aaron, thanks so much for sharing everything with us today. I really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you later on as well. Okay, take care, Cameron. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.